We'd like to say again, good morning to everyone. It's good to see everyone out for worship this morning, um, assembling as the body of Christ to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ that we have done to this very present moment. We thank God for those who have led us in our prayer and song service. Um, they have been part excellent. We thank God for men being able and willing to stand in the gap and to lead the congregation according to God's directives as laid out in the pages of inspiration. So we thank God for that. We thank God um, for you, again, lending your voices together, making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. <clears throat> Pardon me. And, and being interested and hungering and thirsting after spiritual things. That's why you're here. And that's why you're assembling. But most importantly, we thank God for Jesus who left the glories of heaven and came down to the sin-stained world and offered himself as the Lamb of God to be the sacrifice of atonement for us, loving us more than we've ever loved ourselves, being better to us than we've ever been to ourselves, and doing for us that which we could never, ever do for ourselves. Um, this morning, um, the, the topic that I was asked to talk about this morning is the joy of being a Christian. That's the entire Bible. And we will not be able to cover the entire Bible, Genesis chapter 1 or Revelation 22. Can't do it. Um, don't plan on doing it. But really, the joy of being a Christian is seen over the millennia of God unfolding his plan of salvation and it culminating in eternal bliss and security with God. We'll talk about that this morning if it be the Lord's will. But the joy of being a Christian, and it's it's so vast, like why we should have joy as Christians. But I want to look at, <clears throat> if you would, got a little frog there. I think I just got it, so hopefully he won't jump up again. But um, Romans chapter 5. If you'll turn to Romans chapter 5 with me, I want you to consider, um, as a springboard text, verses 8 through 11. Verse 8 through 11. I want you to notice what Paul says here to the church at Rome. He said, but God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice the position. We were sinners in that position, in that state. Christ still died for us in spite of us. Right? We were sinners. He died for us in spite of us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. That position of being a sinner was one that would have required the wrath of God. But Christ died for us. Verse number 10, for if when we were enemies in that position at that time, for if when we were enemies, sinners separated from God, we were reconciled, brought together. We were brought back together. Reconciliation means to make right that which was wrong. Or to restore relationship. Talked about that this morning. <clears throat> and so, for it is when, for if when we were enemies, um, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse number 11. And not only so, but we also joy. But we also joy because of these things. We also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom we have now received the atonement. That's why we joy as Christians. 
And really, in a nutshell, that is the joy of a Christian. The word atonement. If you broke that word down just, just to make a play on words, you would break it down to say it in this way. At one meant. Right? Atonement. At one, Jesus Christ meant my salvation. That's atonement. I like to use a play on words even with the word justified. Just if I'd never sinned. That's what justified means. Just if I'd never sinned. Atonement means at one meant salvation. And now, of course, the words don't, they actually have real definition, definitions, but that's, a, that's the easy way to help you memorize or remember um, what those words mean. When we consider joy, and you think about the things that you joy for, the things that we can joy for in life. Consider the birth of a child. That brings joy. Um, a promotion at work, that brings joy. Um, being able to take a family vacation, that means joy. Um, a marriage, that is joy. Um, for God, the death of his saints is joy. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So when we think about things that bring joy, we can define joy from a secular perspective. You know, you search any reliable secular dictionary, you'll see that joy is a state of happiness or a state of cheerfulness or a state of glee or a period of happiness. So the idea of joy is always tied to cheerfulness and happiness. And by the way, the overwhelming word for joy in your New Testament is the Greek word kara. And it simply means that cheerful, delight, calm. That's what joy means. And so in Christ, we have joy. And so Christians should be the people on God's earth that have a perpetual joy. A joy that does not stop regardless of your situation, right? Because we are going to go through ups and downs in this life. That is just the human condition. It's just the human condition. You are going to have problems in life. Right? As well as babies are born to bring joy, people will leave this world. Just as you get a promotion in life that brings joy, some people will lose jobs. Just as well as you're able to take a family vacation, some people are going to be living check to check. Just as well as you may have your health and your strength and your vitality, some people are going to be dealing with terminal illnesses. That is the human condition. Jesus actually told his disciples in John 16, 33, um, be cheerful. Be joyful because in me you have peace. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus told his disciples, John 16, 33, that they were going to have issues in this world and they were inspired apostles. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit will sit upon them in, in, in tongues of, uh, cloven tongues of fire. They will receive apostleship, but that didn't stop them from experiencing the human condition. And by the way, God never, ever promised us immunity from the cares and tribulations of this world, ever. God never promised us that life was going to be perfect just because we became Christians. He never promised that. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That was never promised to us. So even in the midst of our circumstances, Christians can have perpetual joy through them. We can still be joyful no matter what's happening in our lives. Why is that? 
Why is it that Christians can always be joyful? Why is it that Christians can always be happy? I'm not saying being happy with your situation. I'm saying being happy in spite of your situation. Why is that the case? Because Ephesians chapter, my brother said hope. He is absolutely correct. He is absolutely correct because we have hope founded on faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the substance. Faith is the sub under hope. The things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And by the way, in Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25, see, he's got me off my sermon now. All right, got me preaching other stuff. We are saved by hope is what Paul said. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So yes, hope gives us joy. But let me tell you why. The Christian can be perpetually joyful. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 30, I want you to notice what's in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. Friends, there are only two positions you will ever be in in this world. You will either be in Christ or out of Christ. There is no middle ground. You will only ever be in Christ or out of Christ. And in Christ, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Notice this prepositional phrase, in, in, in. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Friends, spiritual blessings are only in Christ. There are none out of Christ. And when we are in Christ and we have all spiritual blessings, then can the Christian be perpetually joyful no matter what they are experiencing in this life. That's the difference between us and the world. We have hope. We have joy. We have the spiritual blessings of God. And if I could give us maybe three uh, kind of uh, points that might encompass as much as possible all things that are in Christ, I want to tell you, number one, in Christ there is no condemnation. That's point number one. I need you to understand that. Because as Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, our lesson text for this morning, remember when we were sinners, we were aliens with God. We were, we were condemned. We will receive God's wrath. That was the position when we were out of Christ. But now that we're in Christ, we joy because we are no longer in that position. We're no longer in the position to receive the wrath of God, the eternal being, the creator of all things, the sovereign one, the only God. Can you imagine experiencing his wrath? As a matter of fact, Paul would say it this way. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. Now understand this. When Jesus Christ comes again, friends, he's coming to destroy. He's coming for wrath. 
He's coming for vengeance. And not only he, he's coming with his mighty angels, which it seems to be an indication of archangels. He is coming to destroy. And for those that are not in Christ, they will be on the bad end of that. That's where we were as sinners. We were on the bad end of that. We would experience God's wrath. Let me unfold for you, if I can, the gospel story. Let me unfold the gospel story. I've told this story in a couple other lessons that demanded it. But have you ever truly considered the gospel story? Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. That's great. That is the gospel. But I'm talking about the gospel story that started before the world even ever began. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world have been hid in God. But now he has made known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places that it might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is talking about the mystery. Ephesians 3, 4. Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. He's talking about the mystery. The mystery was this, that God would have a chosen people that would bring in the Messiah to save all people, even the Gentiles. Ephesians 1.10, 2.16. That gospel story started before the world began. That gospel story is as old as God is because it's his eternal purpose. God is eternal. His purpose for us is eternal. It's as old as he is. It was already in his mind before he shaped and molded and created the world. Friends, the gospel story starts before Jesus Christ is born into this world. Let's unfold that story. God gave a law at the beginning of the world. That law is found in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. That law says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, that he could eat from every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Not only did God give the law, but he gave the consequence for breaking that law. Now, of course, what do we do? We break the law. Genesis 3, 6. And the woman, when she saw that the tree was good for food and and pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and did eat thereof, and gave to her husband with her also, and he did eat. So we have the law. We have the consequence of breaking the law. We break the law. Now death is passed upon all men. Romans five twelve. For as one man death entered into the world, I mean. For by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So now all of humanity is subjected to physically dying. At that point, they began to die. God kicked them out of the garden, separated them from the tree of life. By the way, a certain, God brings everything full circle. In Genesis, first book of the Bible, man is separated from the tree of life. Revelation, last book of the Bible, man is reconnected with it. We have a law. We have the consequence of breaking the law. We break the law. You know what that's called? 1 John 3, 4. It's called sin. Whosoever transgresseth 
Whosoever sinneth transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. Transgress means to go beyond. That's what transgress means, to go past that which is sanctioned. To go outside of the borders of the law. That's what transgress means. God said, in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. They ate it, they went beyond the command, therefore they died. They would die. We die. But God said this. I knew this was going to happen. And so I have allowed blood to be the currency to redeem from sin. Leviticus 17, 11. Notice what God says there. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. But we still have a problem. Because when man sins, man has to die unless he can offer his blood as an atonement. But guess what the problem we face now is? There's nobody that can do that. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. There's nobody that can do it. We don't have any blood that can do it. So God said, well, since animals can't sin, I'll allow you temporarily to use their blood. Notice what the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews 10, 1 and following. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things could never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the come as they're unto perfect. Verse number four, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. God just allowed their blood to roll over sin. It never redeemed it. They never got outside of their sin just by the blood of bulls and goats. It was never possible. Until the lamb. Until the blood of the lamb. That's why we can have joy. That's why the Christian can have joy no matter the circumstance. Because there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Because his blood was able to pay the price that neither mine nor your blood could. No man could offer his blood. Though the law said when man sins, man has to die. I've given blood as an atonement. No man could offer the blood. Jesus did. He lived a very perfect life that he was able to offer his unstained blood to fulfill Leviticus 17, 11. Paul said this way in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Who have translated us, excuse me, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Watch this. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. That's why I'm joyful as a Christian. That's why I can be joyful no matter what's happening in my life. Because I have been redeemed from a position of wrath. I was on the wrong end of God's of God's wrath. But through Jesus Christ, I have hope. This idea of hope is, is huge. You know, Paul, Paul in Ephesians, and Timothy is the preacher there at the time when Paul writes Ephesians. He writes Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and following. Paul said, wherefore remembering that ye being in time past Gentiles according to the flesh 
and called the uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. When you and I were outside of Jesus Christ, we were hopeless. Hopeless. Could not do anything about it. Hopeless. Couldn't save ourselves. Couldn't offer our own blood. On the wrong side of God's wrath. And then Jesus. And then Jesus. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation. Because we are in Christ. To them that are in Christ, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit's directives. That's why we joy. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 12, that they were without hope. Notice what he said in verse 13. But now where? In Christ. You who were sometime far off are now made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Being separated from God by sin, we were far off, but now we've been brought close to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is why the Christian can joy. That's what the joy of being a Christian is. That's why Christians should be the happiest people on the face of this earth. As a preacher, sometimes I look out in in the audience and some of y'all look like you were baptized in pickle juice. Just scowling. Just mad for no reason. Why are you mad? You're a Christian. Why are you not singing with joy? You're a Christian. You've been saved from God's wrath. You ever read Romans chapter 5? Very humbling chapter. You've been saved from God's wrath. Peace with God. I love the way Paul starts out Romans chapter 5. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 2 through 11, halfway, roughly verse 21, Paul is talking to the Jews. Because they were having a hard time accepting the Gentiles. It, it was just, it was just, they were struggling. You know, and, the, and, and the Roman congregation was a, was a mixed congregation with Jew and Gentile. And you had this friction between those two groups within the congregation. And Paul is helping the Jews to understand that we are no longer, Paul, we, Paul as a Jew, Paul was Jewish, we are no longer justified by circumcision or the law of Moses. Here is the theme of the book of Romans. This is what you see throughout the book. Justification by faith in Christ. That's the theme of the book of Romans. Probably one of Paul's deeper doctrinal discourses. Right? Paul shows his scholarship in that book. Paul completely dissects any justification that was attributed to circumcision or the law of Moses. He does a magnificent job. Obviously, he's an inspired apostle. But what Paul is saying to the Jews is that we are justified by faith in Christ, and it is with peace. It is in faith in Christ that we have peace with God. We are no longer on his side of wrath. Because if you ever broke any part of the law, you were you were in God's wrath. And none of them kept it perfectly, not one. Jesus did. He kept the law perfectly and then nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2, 11 through 14. 
Friends, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's why we can enjoy. That's one of the spiritual blessings of being in Christ. Remember Ephesians 1, 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. Therefore, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. That's one of the spiritual blessings of being in Christ. Being out of Christ, there is condemnation. Being in Christ, there is no condemnation. That's why we joy. That's why we joy as Christians. No matter what we're going through, recenter. Right? This world has a way of diverting our focus. It does, and I'm, I don't disagree with that. I don't argue with that. We're humans. Right? We're in the world, not of it. John 17, the true Lord's Prayer. Right When Jesus actually prayed for his disciples and then verse 20 and following prays for me and you. He prayed for those who would believe on him through their word. That's us. He prayed for us. Jesus Christ prayed for us. We are in the world, but we're not of it. And so the things of the world, they do weigh on us. But when they begin to weigh on us and they begin to try to steal according to what the enemy will do, John 10, 10, for the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's all Satan wants to do. And so when the enemy is stealing our joy, we recenter, we refocus, we remember why we have joy. You've been saved from God's wrath through Jesus Christ. Secondly, why do we joy as Christians? Second point, God gave you a spiritual family. That's why. God gave you another family. God didn't leave you to go it alone. Isn't that interesting? In Christ, in, only in Christ, we have, we gain a brand new family. That's eternal in its nature. There are two families of God, or they exist in two places. Recall what Paul said in Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. When we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God brings us into the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 47, 41 through 47. When that happens, we come into the Lord's church, but it's also called the Lord's family. In 1 Timothy three fifteen, Paul said, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is God's family on earth, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. Why do you think the church is identified as the church of Christ? It's named for him. It belongs to him. It is his family on earth. The word house in 1 Timothy 3.15 translates family. That thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the family of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what Paul said to Timothy. The house of God is the church of Christ. It's his family. And when we become Christians, we can joy because we have family members all over the world. 
that are experiencing this life as we are and we can incur in your leisure. I want to I want to give you some homework in your leisure, in your study time, or if you just are interested. But you use any Bible search. You can use a Bible app or a Bible program or a concordance or however you do searches for words and phrases in God's word. But I want you to I want you to look up how many times in the New Testament you find these phrases one another one to another one for another I want you just those three phrases see how many times you see how many times you find those and then read them and then understand the responsibility that we have with and for each other it's family it's family 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 Paul said, now he that established us with you and hath anointed us is God. Paul said, God hadn't left us to go this alone. He established us with you in Christ. Again, that's another spiritual blessing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.21, that happens in Christ. We are established with the apostles. God established us. He strengthened us. He gave us a support system. He 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 gave us uh, vitality and he gave us integrity. He gave us all of these things in Christ, even with the apostles. We don't go this alone. We're not in this race by ourselves. We are taking this journey together. Right? We're journeying from earth to eternity, but we're doing it together. I know that there are Christians that I can call and say, pray for me. There are Christians that tell me, pray for me. There are Christians that will call and talk to me about spiritual issues. I have friends and, and preacher friends and Christian friends that I talk to about spiritual issues. My wife, my sister in Christ, I can talk to her about spiritual issues. And I'm not in this alone. It's not just me and the rest of the world. It's us. We are a family. We are God's family, and that's a blessing that's in Christ. That's why I can go into a sinful world week after week being recharged and refreshed because I've been with my family on Sundays and Wednesdays and any other time the church doors open. Right? I can go out into this world refreshed and recharged and renewed because of what I've gotten from my family. Being able to come, that's why coming together in one place, that's why joining ourselves together in worship is important. God knew what he was talking about when he said come together in one place. God knew what he was talking about. God knew what he was talking about when he wrote Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a man of some is. God knew what he was talking about. God knew the importance of family being together. This is a blessing that is only in Christ. That's why we can join. That's a spiritual blessing. This, this right here is a spiritual blessing. It's only in Christ. Can you do this? And receive what God would have you receive from it. Encouragement, edification, admonition, love, support. All of those things. Prayer. Only in Christ.
family. We labor together. We, we're making this journey together. In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26 and 27, Paul said, whether one member suffers, then all the members suffer with it. You, you see the idea of that you're not in this by yourself. Right? You're not in this by yourself. And one member is honored, maybe honored, then the other members rejoice with it. Verse 27, ye are the body of Christ. Notice this phrase, and members in particular. You are the body of Christ and members in particular. Here, what you see is the individual aspect of the Christian being the church, but also the corporate aspect of the church. Right? You, you are the body of Christ and members in particular. You together are the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. It's God's family on earth. That is a spiritual blessing. That's why we can joy. That's why we can joy. That's why you should love coming here. That's why we should be happy that we can assemble. Our first century brothers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, they were persecuted to death. They were persecuted to death, and they still met. They still met. They were literally losing their lives at the hand of the Roman Empire. They were enemies of the state, and guess what we have as that was a, that was an archaeological find? The catacombs. They were worshiping underground, knowing that if they were caught, they would die. The question is this: if Christianity became illegal by and punishable by death yesterday, how many of us would have shown up today? great question it's a great question our first century brothers and sisters were persecuted to death they still meant the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews 619 which hope we have as a as an anchor for the soul you know what the the overwhelming art depiction was found on the walls of the catacomb anchors that's interesting, isn't it? You think they understood Hebrews 6.19? Oh, yeah, they understood their souls were secure no matter what happened. They understood. Which leads us into our next point. Number one, we can joy. Christians should be perpetually joyful. Because number one, there's no condemnation in Christ. It changes our position with God. That's why. Being a Christian changed literally. You translated who had delivered us from the power of darkness, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, 14, and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Like we've been moved from one place to the other. Our position with God has literally changed. Where we were on the side of his wrath, now we're on the side of his salvation and atonement. So we can be perpetually joyful because there's no condemnation in Christ. But number two, God has blessed us with a spiritual family. That's why we can joy. And finally, once we leave this place, we, as Christians, can have a confidence when we're entering in, into eternity. You know that 
You know that, um, you know, people, death is a trepidation for many people. It's interesting that that public speaking is the number one fear, though. So you'd rather be in a casket than preaching a funeral. Yeah. Death is the second fear. Public speaking, number one. Oh, that's crazy. But think people are, death just debilitates some people. They don't even want to think about it. But as the Christian, we accept death with joy. I'm not saying we want to leave right now. I'm not saying that. I don't think anybody's lining up to go right now. But we do know that we have to leave here. Amen? Amen. We, you you got to go. And the sooner you reconcile that in your mind, the better you can start being for the cause of Jesus Christ. The sooner you can just go ahead and accept the fact that I'm leaving here, the sooner you can turn loose of these things of the world. And you can become more spiritual because, friends, I'm going to tell you this. This may be breaking news to you, but you're going to be dead longer than you're alive. Yeah, we don't build up our treasure down here, friends. We're going to leave it. You're leaving everything down here. Hebrews 9, 27, as it is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. Hebrews eleven thirteen. those Old Testament worthies understood that. These all died in faith. Not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. They knew they were just passing through here. Those Old Testament worthies, Hebrews chapter 11, which is faith's hall of fame. Those folk in that Old Testament, they knew they were leaving here. David said, there's only a step between me and death. We're leaving here, friends. But when we do, when we do leave here, we don't have to do so with trepidation and fear because we're eternally secure. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? Where is the sting now? In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, the Hebrews writer says, For as much then as the children were partakers of the flesh and blood, so he likewise himself also took part of the same, that through death he might conquer him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and to, and to deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus came to take away not only eternal death. He would not take away physical death. He had to go through physical death. Not only would he take away eternal death, but he would take away even the fear of it that had gripped humanity for so long. He would take it away. So as a Christian, we have joy to know that when I step into eternity, I'm going into eternity with confidence. I'm going into eternity with joy. I don't fear death. It will come when it does. I'm secure in knowing where I'm going and whose I am and who I am. I'm confident in that. That's the joy that we should operate in as Christians. 
happens here, happens here. It will happen here. We don't fear that. I'll leave you with a couple passages and a lesson will be yours. Consider with me 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following. This is a, this is a great passage of security. Okay, this passage is one of security. And I want you to, I want you to, um, to notice what Peter says here. Peter said that um, thanks be to God, our Father, who is the blessed be the God um, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, and here's security, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, personal, reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for you. Personal. Who are kept. The you who is reserved for are those who are kept. The word kept there translates protected. For you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptation. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. You have never seen Jesus Christ, and you love him. You've never seen him. Peter said, y'all have never seen him. The people he was writing to in First Peter, they had never seen Jesus. Whom you have, whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you have not seen, yet believing, you joy. Right? You rejoice with unspeakable joy and full of grace. Notice this. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. What Peter is talking about is eternal security. And friends, that's only in Christ. We, Christians, we don't fear death. We walk around confidently. We walk around joyfully in spite of our circumstances because we know what lies in the hereafter for us. We know this. God tells us what lies for us. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'll go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the promise. We know what's after this. Eternal security, eternal bliss. I tell you this, the lesson is yours. There's not one thing that you'll go down, you'll go through on this earth or experience on this earth, whether it's joy or heartache. There's not one joy or heartache that will ever make heaven not worth it. You won't have so much joy here on this earth that you don't want to go to heaven. Heaven will surpass any joyous thing you have ever, ever experienced here. Secondly, any hardships down here, heaven is worth every bit of it. Romans 8.18. 1 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The lesson is yours. Are you a Christian this morning? If you're not a Christian, then you can't have the joy that Christians have. You can't, you can't take advantage of the spiritual blessings that are only in Jesus Christ. We want you to experience those. And so you have to get into Christ. And the only way I've ever seen in this Bible, I've read this Bible backwards and forth. I've only seen one way to get into Jesus Christ, and that's to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. Know you not that so many of us that were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. But in order to get to that point, you must hear the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. We've talked about that in this passage, in this sermon. Will you believe it? John 8, 24. Will you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? You must believe. Will you repent, have a change of mind towards sin based on godly sorrow that results in a change of lifestyle? Luke 13, 3 through 5. Will you confess the sweetest name on mortal tongues that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of the living God? Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Will you obey the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10, by being baptized into the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and then rising with Christ to walk in a new life, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. If you are willing to do that, then you can be in Christ where all spiritual blessings are. You can have the perpetual joy that only Christians can have. Go on and live a righteous life, Revelation 2, 10. Receive that crown of life. If you are a member of the Lord's church, but for some reason you've lost your joy, you've lost that joy, you need to get it back. David went through that, Psalm 51. Remember his sin with Bathsheba? Nathan told him, you are the man. The child died. Remember everything David went through because of his sin with Bathsheba? He lost the joy of his salvation. He asked God in Psalm 51, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. If you are a member of the Lord's church and you have lost the joy of your salvation, ask God. Ask the church to pray with you and for you that perhaps God will restore that for you. Whatever the case may be, if you are subject to the Lord's invitation, will you come as we together stand and sing?